And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the big thing on Total Soccer Show, the weekly podcast where we sink our teeth into one of the bigger trending topics of the beautiful game. Today, we're talking about a club who've proportionately dominated the big thing since its inception, Chelsea Football Club. We want to know what has gone wrong for Graham Potter. Since Potter took charge on September 8th, as we record, we're recording before the game with Fulham, uh, Chelsea have won four league games. They've lost four and drawn three. They've exited the FA Cup and the League Cup in their respective opening games in those contests. And as we record, they sit 10th in the Premier League. Graham Potter said this week he has the hardest job in soccer at Chelsea. A quote from him, This club was run a certain way for 20 years and run really well. I have a lot of respect for the previous ownership and what they achieved. Unfortunately, they're not here anymore and you've lost all that leadership. Everything has changed pretty quickly. We have to build things up again. Pew, pew, shots fired from Graham Potter. It's not my fault, says Graham Potter. Um, Unfortunately was an interesting word in there as well. Yeah, very, very much, a lot to read into that. Perhaps we'll get into that one later. Um, But Chelsea do have an injury crisis right now with the likes of uh, Raheem Sterling, Christian Pulisic, uh, N'Golo Kante, Ben Chilwell, Rhys James, many others on the sidelines. Well, players like Jorginho arguably are in a downturn of form. So, is it injuries? Is it a changing of the guard of ownership? Or is there more to uh, the situation at Chelsea right now? Uh, my name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today to discuss this, we have Mr. Taylor Rockwell. Hello, Taylor. Hello. And Graham Rutherford. Just heard his voice say another thing, Graham. Hi. There it is. Well, well, should we start with this one, Graham? Um, Graham Potter, your fellow Graham... Uh, yeah. may not have been expecting to be in this position when he took this role, having left Brighton for it. Yeah, so I, th- I think the biggest disappointment, and Ryan, you did a, a good job of outlining what has gone wrong for Chelsea since he took over. They were in poor form before the World Cup. At, at the time, I thought that break had come at a good point for, for Potter. He'd be able to use that that time in the training pitch to steady things. But since then, Chelsea have played four games and they've won just one of them. And as you say, they have a game tonight at the time of recording against Fulham. Even if they win that match, the big picture will remain the same, that things are pretty troubling for them at the moment. And the biggest disappointment of the Potter era so so far, and obviously it's still very early days, but still, the biggest disappointment is that Chelsea are still showing all the issues they were showing in the first couple of months of the season under Thomas Tuchel. They don't look very dangerous in the attacking third. Sterling is the only player to have scored in back-to-back games for Chelsea this season, and that happened early in the season. And when you watch Chelsea at the moment on the ball, it's all very slow and ponderous. Not not much happens quickly. There's very little fluidity. 
And part of that might be down to how it's a rotating cast of attackers in that team at the moment due to injuries and other factors. So nobody's getting many reps together. But nonetheless, that is a key feature of their game right now. Not a good one. And then defensively, Chelsea keep playing this this high line that opponents are finding easy to expose. And if we compare two games, in my research today, I went back and I looked at the worst game that Chelsea had played under under Tuchel, which I think was the Dino, Dino Zagreb game in the, in the Champions League, the game that got him sacked effectively. And then maybe the worst game I've seen Chelsea play under Potter so far was a game they didn't lose, but they drew 1-1 against Nottingham Forest. And I thought they were lucky to, to get a 1-1 draw in that game. I went back and I compared those two games and there was very similar things in those two performances. Chelsea had a giant talent, talent advantage over both teams in both of those matches, but they were picked apart in the same way. Um, and Zagreb and Forrest both had this outlet of just popping a ball into the channels and using their pace in behind. In Zagreb, it was Orsic who did the damage. And then against Forrest, Forrest it was Brennan Johnson. And their defence looked terrible. Koulibaly was all over the place in both matches. Chelsea were all over the place in, in both matches. And by the final 10 minutes, it felt like Chelsea were hanging on for dear life in those games. So Potter has been unable to solve any of the problems he inherited from Tuchel. And from that, you get a question. Is Potter just too similar to Tuchel to find the answers to these problems? Because there's a lot of overlap between those two coaches. Or is this something that is inherent with this group of players that Chelsea have at the moment? So Taylor, my, my first question for you is, how does this Potter team look? How different is it to the Tuchel team? Has there been much evolution or is devolution the opposite of evolution? Uh, yes. I mean, I think Graham, Graham like summarized it well. It's basically a lot of the same issues seem to be like making themselves apparent. And I think to understand what's not working, uh, I did a lot of reading into what did work for Graham Potter with Brighton, uh, with like. Usterlunds, Ustersons, I forget where he was, uh, like like starting out, but with some of his other club experiences. And I, I think my thesis statement would be that Graham Potter wants his teams to have tactical and formational flexibility. He requires his players to reflect that in their ability. That means he basically doesn't want specialists who do one thing really well and play one style of soccer really, really well. If I wanted to extend it further, uh, he doesn't usually play a 4-4-2 anymore. I think that's what he did when he started out. But that four four two has to have one striker or uh, who can then become that sort of other midfielder. So if you want to crowd the central midfield, that player can drop in and be that sort of attacking midfielder who can also do a defensive job. Uh, if you're playing a bunkered team, that four four two has to be able to come a four two four and then still have like overlapping fullbacks who can get involved in the attack. But it has to be the same personnel, and so it requires really flexible players who do a lot of things well who can adapt to what's being asked of them very very quickly uh and and then on top of that he wants to then be able to tailor that flexibility tailor that game plan to the opponents so that you're sort of uh limiting their strengths and capitalizing on their vulnerabilities all of that requires a squad that has a lot of reps a very clear understanding how to play and then you can sort of have that like uh like adaptation uh, element as you then prepare for the individual opponent None of that seems like a thing that's happening at Chelsea. I think he inherited a squad that had vulnerabilities in the actual structure of it. It's a squad that's composed of players brought in for, what, at least two, if not three, if not four different managers at points. And so you're getting a team that is sort of uh, like haphazardly assembled. And I think that haphazard nature very much continues. Um, But then you don't have 
strengths in certain areas that you mentioned in Golo Kante being injured at the beginning, Ryan. I mean, I think that's a huge part of why Chelsea have struggled. They haven't yeah. had a midfielder who can kind of bring that balance and that dominance. And that's an area that they still haven't really rectified. They haven't had that number nine. Romelu Lukaku was supposed to be that when they brought him back. That didn't happen. And since then, they've signed a ton of attackers. But I don't think any of them are true out and out number nines. They all seem to do the sort of same thing of they want to be a second striker. They want to be a support striker. They want to play a little bit wider and then move inside. So I, I think the squad itself doesn't make a ton of sense uh, in certain spots. But then I think on top of that, there's just not that cohesiveness that you might get with a full preseason, with a few more reps, with a few fewer players, basically. And so you kind of have this uh, like bits and pieces assembled squad that doesn't have a clear understanding of how they're supposed to play. Yeah. That on top of that is getting specific instructions for the next opponent. And I think that's where you see so much chopping and changing so many different people utilized in different games and utilized differently in different games. And I think it leads to a lot of head scratching across the board at Chelsea. Yeah. A, a microcosm of, of all the problems that you just mentioned there, Taylor, with a lack of versatility and adaptability, I think you can find that in the midfield at the moment. So I said when Potter was appointed in September, I wanted to see what he would do with that Chelsea midfield because that, that was an area of, of concern. And I think if you contrast how Brighton played in midfield and the, the personnel that Chelsea have, I think a lot of people saw that as a, as a potential problem right right from the get-go, that he didn't have the personnel to, to play in the same way that, that Brighton would. And, and, and so far, he hasn't been able to do very much because of that personnel. Injuries have, have been a factor there. So I, I think this season is probably going differently for Chelsea if N'Golo Kante is fully mm-hmm. fit and in form. He's the one player in that Chelsea midfield that you, 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 you think could play Potter ball in terms of the counter-pressing and the ability to get close to, to opponents. So he, he might make a big difference if he comes back this season. I'm not exactly clear on how serious his, his injury is, actually. But but even still, the, the profile of this Chelsea midfield is very different to the profile of the Brighton midfield that he had. Um, at, at Brighton, he had two-way players like Caicedo and Alexis McAllister and Yves Basuma before that, who would just offer so much on, on both sides of the ball. And and Chelsea don't have that. And that has had a, a ripple effect throughout the, the whole team. Potter does have... A weakness as a coach, even going back to his, his his Brighton days, we used to say that Brighton team didn't score a lot of goals, and so that has that was something that Chelsea fans maybe expected from him as Chelsea manager was this team isn't going to score three and four goals in a game very often. So you still have that weakness, but you're the 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 way that Chelsea's squad is built right now, you're not getting the strength of Potter. So at the moment, he's being made to look very bad because you're getting only the downsides, and all all coaches do have their weaknesses, and that's a big one for Potter. That's all that Chelsea fans are seeing right now. They're not seeing any of the strengths because I don't think that squad is constructed to to allow them to do that. Graham, a a question that I keep kind of coming back to is like Mark Kukurea by... Like most accounts by people who cover them, uh, has not impressed, has not been no. a strong player this season. And that's a player who formerly played for Potter at Brighton. Now, Kugurea comes, then Potter comes. So it's not the age old thing of the manager comes, he brings one player, and then somehow it doesn't work out. But in this case, I, I really I struggle to understand. Like, that seems to me a, a strangely important thing to, to get our heads around is like, why is this one player who has been very good for for that same manager in the past now suddenly looks a shadow of himself before the manager comes, but then even after that manager comes? Do you have thoughts on on what it is or has he been that bad? Am I just reading the no, wrong he, reports? 
No, he's been he's been very bad, and I, I'm I'm a I'm a fan of Mark Cucurella, even going mm-hmm. back to his time in La Liga. I thought Barcelona were, were were wrong to let him him go, but if you look at where he was very successful at Brighton, it wasn't as a it wasn't as a fullback, and that's kind of been where he's he's been playing mm-hmm. for Chelsea recently. Has been in in that back four where he's expected to get up and down. He doesn't have that mobility. He's actually quite slow, Mark Cucurella, and for for Brighton they had this this wide left midfield hybrid position in, in that team. It's a, it's a wing back, I guess, but Mark Cucurella is is also quite handy at coming inside. And we've we've mentioned the words versatility and adaptability for, for Brighton already. He, he was key to that. And this season, Leandro Trossard has, has kind of been playing that position for Brighton. He is certainly not a fullback by any measure. So to have Cucurella going into a back four, I think you, you, that's that's the main reason why he's looked poor. That's not his position. It's kind of the Marcus Alonso paradigm in that that's not his position either. But Potter clearly feels due to personnel that he, he can't play a back three at the moment. For, for example, he doesn't have Reese James to play on the right side. Mm-hmm. You would maybe say that Cucurella on the left and Reese James on the right would work. But Reese James is injured, so he's having to pay, play as Pilaqueta on the right side of the defence. He's not a wing back, so you can't play him in that position. So everything points to a back four being the best solution for everyone else besides Mark Cucurella, and he's kind of the collateral damage of, of that decision at, at the moment. I think that that explains why he's been so poor. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't write him off so far because I think once Potter gets his all the personnel he wants in and he's allowed to construct that team in his own own image, that's maybe when you can you can judge Cucurella. <laughs> First of all, thank you. That makes a lot of sense. It also, I think, helps me then better understand Chelsea from the metaphor of like putting your finger in in the in the, like the the hole to spot to stop the dam from collapsing, and then another hole spots up, and you have to like keep plugging. And as you unplug one, another hole opens up. And, and I think that's Chelsea in a nutshell for me. To your point, if you don't have Reese James, you can't have the two wing backs. So now you have to put Kukurea in a spot where he's not going to shine. But if you were to force somebody to be a wing back, I think like briefly Christian Pulisic was utilized there just to see what could happen. Yeah. I think he's tried other people and it hasn't really worked and then that makes the team worse so then you go with a back four but like uh Koulibaly and Thiago Silva I, I I don't think either one of them has shown particularly well this year it does make me wonder if, if if a back three would bring that like extra bit of stability but again you don't have wing backs and and I think you just keep running into these problems of it, it's tough to find a way to get a starting 11 that makes sense that is going to get the best out of the personnel involved and so what I feel like we keep seeing is Graham Potter trying to make that happen, trying to figure out this starting 11 seems like it puts everybody in the best spot to get the best out of them. But now we need to get multiple reps out of them. And, oh, no, in the second game, they had a really bad game and it didn't work. And in the third game, these two guys got injured. It just seems like things keep not clicking. And the longer they don't click, I think the angrier fans are going to yeah. get and, and the more they're going to look at past coaches and past ownership and think maybe that wasn't so bad. Maybe that wasn't quite as wrong. And and the ironic thing is that in terms of the players that have been injured, you're looking at a lot of the slightly younger in their peak players who are mm-hmm. who are sidelined, and actually it's a lot of the guys in their thirties who are, have been available for Chelsea, and that has contributed to a lack of pace at the back, which has been a massive problem for Chelsea under Potter. Koulibaly at the moment is being made to look really really average and mediocre, and he is a lot better than that. Because he's not particularly quick at this point in his career, but normally he has the support system around him. But he's he's playing with 
Thiago Silva, who's who's 38 yep. years old. He doesn't have a great deal of recovery pace. We've already covered that Cucurella isn't all that quick. That's not his game, getting back to, to cover. As Pelaqueta is 33, Jorginho is incredibly slow over the ground. So if he's if he's the guy in front of that back four, he's not providing a lot of protection either in that regard. And then someone like Fofana, a defender who could mask some some of this, he does have recovery pace, and I can imagine that is why he was brought in in the summer. He plays a couple games and then gets a long-term injury. I think he's out for the season. So there, I'm not saying that Potter hasn't made bad decisions. I'm not. I'm certainly not saying that Chelsea haven't and Todd Bowley haven't made bad decisions. But they have been dealt a rough hand here. Yeah. Graham, uh, looking at, uh, as we record this, Chelsea will be playing, uh, we're recording this Thursday, they're playing later this afternoon against Fulham. Uh, looking at their perspective lineup for a moment, you, like you've hit it already, it's Aspilicueta at right back, Kukurea at left back, uh, Tiago Silva, Koulibaly in the middle, and then that midfield three of Kovacic, Jorginho, and Dennis Zakaria. Get excited, everybody. A mm. lot of attacking intent there. Slow. Like It's it's wild that we, even with the amount of money that has been spent in the past, and then in, in the summer window, combined with the January window, I think they spent over 350 million euros, if not pounds. Like, and I think they've only sold 50 going the other way. So a, a net spend of negative 300 million to get to this point is sort of shocking. And, and maybe this, I don't want to move us out of, uh, out of Graham Potter conversation quite yet, but I think that is really interesting the way recruitment has gone because I think under Thomas Ducal there, there were issues about midfield creativity and then how the midfield functions without N'Golo Kante. There were questions about who can be that number nine and how do you get the best out of your attacking play. And then there, was, there were questions of should they be in a back three and if so, how do you get the best out of the personnel who can make that happen? All of those questions do sort of remain. So to your initial question to me, Ryan, uh, we've been going for a while. Ryan, you're still there, right? <laughs> uh, allegedly, yeah. Okay, allegedly, yeah. Uh, I think the, the the answer is I don't things are near thing. I don't think things are nearly as dissimilar as I expected the, them to be when Tuchel was in charge, and that's the Thomas Tuchel uh, who. From what I understand of him, is a, a fairly prickly persona. I, I think is a good motivator at times when he has the buy-in. But I think there is a, a point when players start to lose that faith, lose confidence in him. And it seemed to me a no-brainer of bringing in Graham Potter for the success he had had at Brighton, but also for the kind of individual man management style that I had read about that he seemed to favor. And it seemed to me like if nothing else, you would get a Chelsea team that was just a bit more harmonious, that you you had that sort of new manager buy-in, and there's then the ability to kind of get players playing the way you want them to play. And I don't feel like we've really seen that. It's it's really surprising to me. When we did the big thing on the the Clear Lake Todd Bowley takeover, I was I would I would say like almost hilariously naive. I will own that one and say like I was like this could be really interesting. They're going to be spending money. He wants to take new approaches. Like I, I was all about it. And I now think back on that and realize how many red flags there were <laughs> in that conversation that I was kind of willing to ignore and now see as even bigger red flags than they might have been then. Well, uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, Taylor, let's dig into some of those red flags. We've covered a lot of the on-field issues, injuries and whatnot. Let's see what's going on off the field and how that might have affected this team. Back shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late. And there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, 
it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to The Big Thing, Chelsea Edition Part 17. Seems like we talk about them a lot on this show, but they are very interesting to talk about. That's no disrespect to them or us. Um, Graham, I led off this show with a quote from Graham Potter, and we can probably talk about the things he said publicly as well. That's an interesting point of discussion. Mm. But what he said about the ownership there, he's implied that it's a rudderless ship, hasn't he? (laughs) Which is a bold thing to say from a new owner who's brought you in. Um, So I'm not saying he's like passing the buck on this, but he's certainly... Uh, but you're not part. not saying um, that? He's not not saying that, exactly. <laughs> it, it feels like he is... It's not scapegoating, is it? He's he's pointing at something, isn't he? And, and when he, he's hinting that all is not well in the front office. And I think you would be right in, in that conclusion. I think that is obvious even to outsiders looking at Chelsea this season. The The... The upheaval at Chelsea since last summer has been absolutely gigantic. They have a, they've had a, a change in ownership, obviously, with Roman Abram- Abramovich leaving the club, Todd Bowley and uh, the consortium coming in. But then you also have a complete scrubbing of the, the sporting structure at the club. So Marina Gravaskaya and Petr Cech, they leave the club. They were the sporting director, technical director at Chelsea for a number of years. 
towards the end, maybe less success with some of the signings, but generally speaking, had been very successful. Particularly, uh, Granovskaya was was kind of hailed as one of the best sporting directors in the Premier League. But they leave not long after Abramovich is unseated as owner, and Bowley doesn't replace them immediately. In fact, Bowley appointed himself as interim <laughs> sporting director, a role for which he had no qualifications. And while it might Aye. be too early to judge the success or failure of the individual signings that he helped make, there certainly didn't seem to be any strategy in, in the transfer market at all. And maybe we can talk about the, the transfers that Chelsea have made a little bit later on. But this is a club experiencing an identity crisis, both on the pitch, but I would say the on-pitch identity crisis is related to what's happening off the pitch. And with Abramovich as the owner, Chelsea were all about getting results as quickly as possible. They would they would sign fully formed players who could deliver immediately. And there wasn't much succession, succession planning at Chelsea under Abramovich. And it, in a weird way, it worked because they had money. They could just continually buy players that were at their peak and just keep things rolling over. They went after the, be- the best managers. Jose Mourinho, who was the best young manager in Europe at the time, he comes in his second season. They get Conte. They get Tuchel. That was their identity. That was Chelsea's identity, was winning and just spending money to keep winning. Now, you still have Chelsea spending money, but they're spending that money on some of the best young players around at one end of the spectrum. And then at the other end, they're signing 30-year-old Kaldu Koulibaly and paying £8 million to sign Yao Felix on a six-month loan deal. So there's this, there's this disconnect between apparent long-term planning, and I'm not sure there is much long-term planning besides just setting the football manager search filter to under 21 and then just picking players because it doesn't seem like they, they have a place in the team at the moment. So you have that on one side, long-term planning, and then the short-termism of just getting players and bodies in, in, in the door at Stamford Bridge. So yeah, I can understand why Potter is pointing to a lot of the off-field problems because they have Graham, been plentiful. Graham, forgive me, it sounds like you've almost described the same thing as happening though. They were spending a lot of money on fully mm-hmm. formed players and, you know, overspending and now, you know, they spent a pretty penny in the summer on many players who are not exactly 21 years old and spending 8 to 10 million on a loan deal for half a season for Yao Felix. Yes, a young player, but still... It doesn't feel like the master plan's changed that much when you look at it like that. In terms of Chelsea and their youth recruitment, I think it was different in the past. They would they would they would get players when they were 14, 15 years old. So Billy Gilmore is a perfect example of that. He was at Rangers until 15, 16, and then he'd go into the Chelsea Youth Academy and then he'd be there for a few years and then, and then go into the first team. Now they're now they're play, they're buying young players at a higher, certainly more expensive price point to go straight into the senior squad without much plan of what what what's happening with them. I mean, the player whose name I can never pronounce is it Chukwomeka, who came from Aston Villa. He's he's too expensive. He's too good to go into the development squad. But what's the plan for him in the first team? And he's kind of got some minutes recently just through injuries. But what what is the plan for him? That's where I think there's a difference, certainly in terms of the youth development. What one thing I, I I hear you both. I think is really interesting is the way I've seen some people talk about and write about this Chelsea team. It's it's. It's very clear that I think people want the narrative to be, because this is a clear and easy narrative, is the idea that this is what happens when oil money goes away. And like, lest we forget, I, I, do, I did this all the time and forgot that like Abramovich is himself essentially a petro-state. He's a petro-individual, but he is the first of oil money coming in, or like the most prominent of oil money coming in and changing the, the direction and future of a club. And I think many people... 
have sort of started to write articles that hedge that a little bit of like, oh, this is what happens when now like the money matters. You have to spend more frugally because to Graham's point, it did used to just be, okay, new manager, spend that money. We'll give that guy, like we'll buy out uh, VS Bosch for $20 million and then give somebody else a contract for another $20 million that we'll then buy out. But but clearly have been spending an insane amount of money. And so in some ways, that narrative doesn't really work. I hear what you're saying, Graham, about youth development. But I, I think the difference is just that, at least with Abramovich, it felt like he was so clinical in that this isn't working. New manager comes in. New manager, which three players do you need? We'll buy those three players. Now the team will be good. We'll win. Oh, that's not working anymore. Manager goes away. We buy him out. New manager, who do you need? And I, and I don't think that that ruthlessness is there uh, uh, from Todd Bowley yet, at least. But I also think because you don't have that front office the way you used to, you don't have the ability to check some of those spending inclinations. Uh, that wasn't meant to be a pun on Petr Cech, but it does work. Because I do think Gretzkaya and Cech had much more say, much more control, much more awareness of how to do business. And so I think the signings themselves, it's, it's not, oh, they don't have money anymore, so they can't bring in those big names. It's just that the signings don't make as much sense because those big names don't really fit. It's like a huge one was Shevchenko being brought in because Abramovich just loved him and wanted him and find a way to make him play, and it didn't work. It's like multiple Shevchenkos are being purchased with the idea that, well, one of them will score goals, and I don't think that has necessarily gone to plan. If I wanted to be generous for a moment, though, to to Graham's point about these young players being purchased and what happens next, because they're too good for the academy, but they're not maybe quite at the level where they're ready to play for the Chelsea first team. It does sound like what Clear Lake and Todd Bowley have identified is the need to basically purchase a feeder club. And and that seems like the model they're going to go for is the Red Bull model of they're looking at different uh, clubs in Europe. I think there was maybe one in France and maybe one in Portugal. I could be wrong. Uh, but that they had had previous discussions with about basically turning them into Chelsea Jr. And then you can send those players there and they're playing a style that then develops them for the future. By all accounts, that loan structure that Chelsea had forever when they had 45 and 50 players out on loan was really scattershot because you can't trust all of those clubs to develop those players the way you need them to be developed. And so I think long term, that is what they're aiming for is buying another club and having that sort of club network. But then again, that speaks to the weirdness of the way they're doing things, which is you're buying all those young players and then you're going to go for the club. Like it just seems like they're sort of doing things scattershot and hoping that something works. Well, Taylor, that's a really interesting point and, and the same thing about like effectively buying a lot of Shevchenko's it's, it points to the philosophy in a way doesn't it mm-hmm. and you look at a team like Manchester City who knew they wanted Pep seven or eight years before they got Pep and there was a ground a, a plan laid out and it seems like what's happening at Chelsea is to a certain extent what happened at Man United after Ferguson when mm-hmm. by the time you got to Jose Mourinho you had a squad that was built hmm. by three different managers of parts that didn't fit together and of different ages and didn't have a core philosophy to them because they had several managers doing different things if they even had a philosophy at all, which they probably didn't. And maybe what we're seeing with Potter now is the culmination of that. We've got players recruited under different, not managers, but also regimes as well. And with no clear rationale exactly what's going on there in terms of a philosophy at the very least. So maybe now we're sort of, we're hitting hitting the, the point where that's become an issue. I think the thing, the biggest issue for me, the thing that I find most frustrating is that 
what Chelsea keep doing is just making the Saudi ownership group at Newcastle look that much better. Like, they just keep looking like this well-oiled, well-run machine, making smart signings, backing Eddie Howe, uh, having this kind of cohesive structure. Uh, that That's, I think, slight number one for Chelsea, is that now they're making the Saudis look like they know what they're doing, which is annoying to me. Uh, but it, it is also just this very strange sort of combination of players uh, and, and managers and front office personnel and and really like yes it's great that Todd Bowley has decided to not go the welcome to Wrexham route of outsourcing uh, transfers to Twitter but at the same time <laughs> like I'm not sure he's fully gone away from that on occasion the Jao Felix one being the most yeah. prime example of uh, yeah, get us another guy who'll probably score goals like that'll work that should work yeah. fine right he's a name and I I am very confused by that by that decision to sign him, which probably means it will work out great and I'll look like a fool. But man, does that not seem like the the issue this team has right now. The, the Yale Felix signing is quite funny because that that transfer was announced on the same day it was it was announced that Todd Bowley is actually stepping down as sporting director, which is obviously good news. But it was like just just let me sign one last player <laughs> for no good reason. Okay, Yale Felix, right? We'll get him in. Um, yeah, the, the Yale Felix signing doesn't make much sense to me. And it kind of just points to how Chelsea's transfer strategy so far, to an outsider anyway, it kind of looks like they're sheep. They're just following. They're not in. They're not in the chat about Yao Felix until until Arsenal and United are apparently talking about him. Then all of a sudden Chelsea are in the picture. Mudrik has been going to Arsenal. There's been no other club interested in Mudrik. Maybe PSG for a week or so. Arsenal get close to a deal. All of a sudden Chelsea are interested in a deal. That seems like they they they. They don't have much of a recruitment department, so they're 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 leaning on the recruitment departments of other clubs to yep. do their scouting for them. And I would say the plus side of this is the hope for Chelsea is that Bowley's not going to be they're not going to end up in an Ed Woodward situation, um, which was the fear when it's he seemed to be taking on so much responsibility. He is standing aside, and Chelsea have hired five senior people to the recruitment department since last summer. And it's worth mentioning that the, the two men at Chelsea now, in terms of transfers, are uh, Christopher Vivelli, who's the, the new technical director, and Paul Winstaley, who is director of global talent and transfers. So Vivelli's come from RB Leipzig, uh, and when Winstaley came over from Brighton, he used, he worked with Potter before. So that is good news. That is encouraging for Chelsea that we'll kind of look back at the first six months of Todd Bowley's ownership and think, wow, that was a wild time. Um, but from this point on, maybe there will be more of a strategy, a, certainly a coherent strategy from them in the transfer market. Hmm. Lest we forget, by the way, uh, off the field, they, the executive Tom Glick came in as president of business, which is my favourite title ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very yeah, Kroll show, good at business sort of business card, isn't it? I hope it's spelled B-I-Z-N-E-S-S. Yeah, yeah, it's very Lego movie. At least movie. one Z in there. Yeah, yeah, of course. Z in there, excuse me. Um, Todd Bowley, Taylor. Mm-hmm. Our impressions thus far, and we, I mean, we've talked about him quite a bit already, but um, do we get the sense he is going to back off and actually let the, his employees run this thing? No, not really. I mean, I like maybe he will, but I think what we've come to know about people with a ton of money is that they like being involved in decisions and they like to be heavily involved on occasion. And I think with Abramovich, that had its its negatives, certainly, like the Shevchenko one. There's other examples of that where he just is like, I want this player. We're doing it this way. He's a little bit impatient and he sacks a manager when maybe he shouldn't have. Um, but I think he also then 
builds a structure, recruits well when it comes to the front office, when it comes to some of those positions to just make the club function better. And then it's still going to be him involved in the decision making, maybe less of the day to day. That seems to have been uh, Granovskaya's like domain. But Todd Bowley thus far strikes me as a person who who wants to be involved, who wants to, and not even from a nefarious, I have to make every decision, but he just seems like, yeah, what can I do? How can I help? What can I do to make it better? And I, and I can appreciate that sort of engine, that sort of desire, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make the smart decisions because of it. And, and I think if he does continue to be involved, maybe that works well because he's signing off on transfers and buying a club that can be that feeder club and helping develop academy infrastructure. But I, I think also if it's him thinking, well, what if we sign this guy? Like, uh, who is the Sunderland uh, owner who, like, famously overpaid for Will Grigg, like, after his, like, 19th uh, bid? Like, yeah. I also, there are shades of that when it comes to Todd Bowley, at least to me, a person who has had zero interaction with him, but from an outsider's perspective, also seems like a guy who, if he wants something, is going to go get it, regardless of whether or not that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yao Felix, going back to it for a moment, is a prime example of that. Listening to the way... That uh, the uh, the athletic football show did a did an episode about Chelsea, and they were talking about uh, the like the loan fee that Atleti were demanding, and and everybody sort of balking at that one. And then there was this pause where you expected it to be like, but then Chelsea realized they had this going on, and Atleti realized they weren't going to get what they wanted, and so they met in the middle. And the narrative narrative is instead basically. Uh, yeah, so Atleti wanted a ton of money for a player for a six-month loan. They wanted his wages covered. Everybody said no. And then a couple of days later, Chelsea came back and said yes. Like, that's yeah, pretty yeah. much it. Nothing changed. They, it's they just also, they decided they needed Chelsea him. have done that a few times already. Yeah. So basically, with Cucurella, Brighton said $50 million, which was essentially go away. They didn't want to sell Mark Cucurella. They said a, a number that they didn't think anyone would pay. And Chelsea were like, yeah, sure, actually, here, have $60 million. They did that with Wesley Fofana as well. Leicester yeah. did exactly the same thing. Leicester went 80 million because they didn't want to sell Wesley Fofana. Chelsea went, okay, here you go. 80, yeah. Like Some of the prices they've paid for these players are absolutely incredible. And will surely, you look at Manchester United, they did the same, the same thing with yeah. Woodward over a number of years mm-hmm. and, it, and it hamstrung them over a number of years because you go back to the well, you go back to the transfer market for a player that you need, Benfica maybe, Enzo Fernandez. Chelsea give you a call hey, we want one of your players. Okay, we want 120 million euros. If you, you can't, it's unsustainable, particularly with FFP. So Chelsea have kind of backed themselves into a corner here. Yeah, yeah. And, and Graham, like, I'm, I'm glad that that really, like, hit some points. Because I think if, if there's a player that you know is going to make you better, like, maybe Virgil van Dijk is a bad example of this because Liverpool don't get him the first time. But I think we, we often praise Liverpool for just having that practicality of, this is the guy we need to make our team better. What's he going to cost? That's a lot of money. He's going to make us better. Let's pay it. And, and, I, and I think when that is the exception rather than the rule, that's business. That That's modern football. You have to spend an insane amount of money if that's the player that is going to make that difference. But your impression of Chelsea feels accurate. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> like, it doesn't seem like it's this sort of like, ah, that's a lot of money, but this is the guy we've wanted. We've scouted him. We know it's going to make us better. We, we got to pull the trigger here. But with another player, no, you know what? Like, we can find a better value. We can find a better player or maybe not quite as good a player, but they're going to be $30 million less. Let's do that. It just doesn't seem like there is that debate, that there is that, uh, like, even knowledge of what they actually need to make that team function. It's just, it still feels very much throwing darts at a wall and seeing what happens. Yeah. 
It, it really feels like Atleti saw Chelsea coming, though, to, to re-emphasise that point. <laughs> Not just with the high amount they got for a half-season loan deal. They extended his contract simultaneously, right? So they put yeah. another few years on his contract. They're saying, we're going to just increase the value of our asset while <laughs> getting even more money, loaning it to you for half a season. You'll probably have him score a bunch of goals because we're not using him as effectively as you could. Uh, we'll have him back and then we'll sell him for even more because he's got a longer contract. Yeah, well, we're good at business. You're not. The one thing on that note, I did see, is it Luis Enrique? I think I saw some reports that he is going to take over at uh, Atleti at the end of the season. I don't know if that's true. That feels like a lot of uh, rumor mongering. But if it is the case, then that's an even smarter move from Atleti because they basically get someone to pay Jao Felix's wages plus the loan fee on top. And then you get him back for potentially a new manager who will use him more effectively. So you give him that six months to either go improve and have some fun or more likely be like, grass maybe isn't greener. Maybe I want to stay with Atleti because Chelsea did not go well. And so then he goes back and he's happy. It just feels like good business from Atleti and less good from Chelsea. Indeed. Let's take one more quick break. When we come back, maybe we'll have a little look to the future. What Chelsea can do to turn this around, whether it's in the transfer market or maybe... Looking elsewhere for another coach. It's the transfer market. (laughs) (laughs) Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the big thing. Taylor Rockwell leaving us on a cliffhanger of it's the transfer market. Do you think there are moves to be made in the next few weeks for Chelsea? Apparently, apparently they are not done. They they still want a midfielder. 
I think they maybe wanted uh, either a wing back or no, they need a wing back, but I think they might go for a center back instead. Yeah, I think they're going to continue to spend money. I guess the 350 million hasn't been enough. Uh, It's wild to look at at how much they've spent and where they spent it because there are those big name players like Fofana and Gukurea, I guess. (laughs) I shouldn't laugh at that, but it's like, I don't know. Are are those two combined worth 145 million? I don't know. Raheem Sterling is, is a transfer that I thought would be very smart and work really well, a la Gabriel Jesus or uh, Zinchenko, uh, for $56 million. He is their top scorer, but they haven't scored a ton. And then from there, like, uh, Badia Shiel, who's come in uh, from Monaco, he's 38 that's million euros. That's a good euros. deal, actually. That's, that's an exception to the rule of Chelsea so there we far. Go. I think that's a good one. The rule All right. of Chelsea. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But Koulibaly costing the same amount uh, and not looking nearly as good is is disconcerting. Uh, they've what already brought in Andre Santos in January and David Datro Fofana, another Fofana from Molde. One gets injured, one comes in. Uh, but like Aubameyang for twelve million, and then remember when Pierre Emerick Aubameyang played for Chelsea? That was odd. Uh, it's <laughs> it's just it's it, it's it again Let's go continues back to Barca to- apparently. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, uh, I would say Money that's probably smart for him. Allegedly, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, cool. nice allegedly in there, Graham. But yeah, all that to say, <laughs> it does feel like. They're just going to continue to spend money uh, because they still have areas that I think they need to strengthen or should strengthen. So I think in the short term, the solutions will be a couple more players. And I personally think the solution should be stick with Graham Potter. I think giving him not a preseason and bringing him into this situation where you don't have really any leadership or any sort of proven established leadership you've got a squad that is accumulated over the seasons with different managers that isn't particularly harmonious that isn't in a good spot when he comes in uh and now he has to kind of turn that around i think sacking him would be a mistake and i'm kind of confused by the idea that he is a manager that Roman Abramovich would not have gone for. Not because I disagree with it. I, I get the idea behind it that he doesn't have that pedigree of of the managers that Abramovich would go for. But it's not as though Roman Abramovich made the best decisions when it come to, came to managers because for every Gus Hiddink or Carlo Ancelotti, uh, Carlo Ancelotti, who was then fired, uh, or Antonio Conte, you've got, remember like uh, Luis Felipe Scolari being a manager, member of VH Boash? Like there are plenty of managers. Uh, who did he, like, was it, I can't even remember if it was Avram Grant who he didn't yeah, give the so permanent gig the, to. I'll just run through them quickly. Yeah. Ranieri, Mourinho, Grant, Scolari, Hiddink, Ancelotti, AVB, De Matteo, Benitez, Mourinho, Hiddink again, Conte, Sari, Lampard, then Tuchel. We right. didn't start the fire. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's, like, it's so, first of all, like, you can't tell me that Roberto Di Matteo, when he got that permanent gig, was more established than Graham Potter, because he wasn't. Yes, they won the Champions League, but that in and of itself does not make him a better manager. Uh, but but I, I get the idea that Potter would not have been the person that Abramovich would have looked to, but the reality is that's who is there now. That's who was appointed by Clear Lake for the specific reasons of what he did at Brighton, how he made that team successful, but how he has made pretty much every team he has managed so far successful. I think the idea of cutting ties with him to bring in somebody else who will write this ship, I, I don't see it happening. I don't think it makes sense. And forgive me for going long, but a final point on this would just be, we talked about this in the Weekend Review, some of those goals that Chelsea gave up in that 4-0 loss are just idiotic individual mistakes. They are players making stupid decisions. Kai Havertz, that handball, I, what are you doing, man? Like, you know not to do that. You know, it just felt to me like he was like, like, oh, we play volleyball now, right? I can just punch that ball away? Cool. Like, it, it's it's... 
I, to put it all on Graham Potter is, I, I think, a mistake. Certainly, he he bears some of the responsibility here, but it is the players themselves uh, who have failed to live up to their price tags. It is Graham Potter who isn't getting the best out of this team yet, but it's the front office, or lack thereof. It's Clear Lake and the way they've gone about kind of building this team and and creating a sense of chemistry that isn't quite there yet. I think lots of people shoulder the blame here, and I think for any one person to have to fall on their sword would be a mistake. Well, Graham... If if Roman Abramovich was still in charge, and let's say Chelsea are in 10th, mm. let's say they finish 10th to 12th in the Premier League, let's say it doesn't pick up from here, he's gone. Even if they finish 8th or 7th, he's gone under Abramovich. It yeah. feels insane to say that he should go this season, but, I mean, crazier things have happened at this club. They, cer- they certainly have. Um, and... I- Todd Bowley, I'm not sure if he's actually spoken publicly about it, but all the reporting is he wants a long-term project, so maybe Potter isn't under a great deal of pressure with his job right now. But every every manager and every owner and chairman has has a point of no return with, with a manager where results are just so bad. And I do wonder how, if, how long this run goes, but to what point does Chelsea need to get to where Bowley goes, OK, enough's enough. I don't want to sack this manager, but I've got no choice here. And the Chelsea fans, so far, I think they've been open to the idea of Potter, but the, but the last couple of weeks I have spotted a bit a bit of a, a change in the tide with Potter, mm-hmm. particularly with some of his his comments to the media. Yeah, as as Chelsea manager, so he he has opened up a little bit more since since the World Cup, and he's called as as you said at the top of the show, Ryan. He's called the Chelsea job the most challenging job in the world. He's spoken about a reset. In his words, Chelsea are going through a massive transition. Um, and there was a report only today that he's gathered all the senior players at Chelsea and some of the more experienced guys to hear what they think about the team's struggles. And on one hand, I quite like that. It shows he's listening, he's thinking about the problems Chelsea have and how to solve them. On the other hand, I contrast that to Eric Ten Hag and his approach at Manchester United, where, at least to the public, he is certain in his yep. convictions. He knows what he wants my United to be, and even in a, in a dysfunctional club, so he's in a club that's had questions over the front office and transfers and so on, he's not going to stop at anything to make it happen. Anyone who disagrees or doesn't meet his standards is out the door, even if you're Cristiano Ronaldo. And I'm not necessarily saying that one is the right way, the other is, is the wrong way. But for Potter, it just adds to the sense that he doesn't have the answers yet. And if you're Chelsea, you're having to place faith in the belief that he is the guy who will find those answers over someone like Luis Enrique, who I think stylistically is probably a better fit for this current squad. Chelsea at the moment have a problem with speed and the place of and, and the pace of their play. Luis Enrique likes his team play a much slower game. They're more possession-based. I think that suits this Chelsea team better. Pochettino, maybe not as, as good a fit, as Luis Enrique, but he's available. He he pretty openly wants a Premier League job, I think. Two good alternatives for Chelsea. Like that that in itself puts pressure yeah. on Potter. And I think the other thing that Chelsea fans have not been they've not liked recently is just some of the comments Potter makes where he's a little bit too nice. Yep. So I I know for a fact that some Chelsea fans didn't like when Potter praised Forrest after their draw against Chelsea. Because it's not a very big manager thing to, to do, to praise that, you know, you've just dropped points away to a promoted team. You don't come out and, 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 and praise them as ridiculous as that may seem. That is a, a kind of a, an, an unwritten rule. So Chelsea fans want Potter to bear their teeth a little bit more. You look at the managers they've had in the past, Mourinho, Conte, Tuchel. It is, it is a change, not just in the ownership of Chelsea and the way they're playing. It's also just a change in the character of their team, that they have a nice guy like Graham Potter in charge. And and we might like Potter 
for being that nice guy, but it doesn't necessarily mean that Chelsea fans are, are, will like him or that he'll be the, the right man for Chelsea. Yeah, I, I don't, like, I, I've heard that same Nottingham Forest thing, Graham, and and the comparisons to David Moyes at Manchester United when he said, like, we aspire to play the type of football that Man City plays. That is an, an immediate moment for Man United fans of, like, wh- no, <laughs> like that's not how this is supposed to work. Um, Man United were champions as well at that point, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, like, <laughs> I think... On the one hand, when when David Moy says something like that, when Graham Potter says something like that, you understand what they're trying to say. But even there, to your point, Graham, there's a way that managers of that caliber will say it. They will say, like, full credit to Nottingham, they deserve the point, but we, and they go into what they, and like, that's it. And to pause and say, like, you got to give them credit for the way they fought, and they, you know, they had this plan, and they, like, I think they're, you can be a little bit too effusive, at which point you're starting to admire them, and I don't think that's what fans would like. But I also think, there is a little bit blood in the water, and, and, and that would be a worry to me if I were Graham Potter, and I think part of the things he is saying publicly indicates to me he is aware that there is blood in the water. But when you start having the media nitpick those types of statements, I think it, it shows that, that they're sensing there could be a vulnerability here. There is maybe something at play, and I would say, why do we know that that meeting with the senior players happened? Think about it for a moment and like, why does the public need to know that? They don't. The only reason you put that out there is because you, Chelsea, are trying to say, look, he's got the senior players on board. Look, the senior players are talking to him. He's asking them for their input. Everything's great, right? Isn't the, aren't things wonderful? Like, when you pause and look at it, that's just PR. They're just trying to show you that actually everybody's working together. We're all pulling in the same direction. And, and to your point about Ten Hag, I think, you can be pulling in the direction and not have to loudly proclaim it. Whereas when you loudly proclaim, yeah, things are great. We're having meetings. It's wonderful. It starts to be like, are, are things wonderful, though? Because yeah. I feel like when things are wonderful, you don't loudly say, things are wonderful. You just enjoy how things are. Indeed. And I'm enjoying how this conversation has gone, gents. <laughs> We've big thinged once again, wonderfully, once again ruminating on Southwest London's dysfunctional yet very rich Premier League proponents. Um, Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for all your contributions today. Uh, you will not be fired this episode. Hey, that's positive. Graham, you're under review. Mm, I mean, I guess one Graham has to be fired. <laughs> oh, Graham, Graham, we have an update. Uh, you were under review, but now they've extended your contract by 70 million? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. You're going on a 20 million half-season loan to the Football Rebel. Congratulations, Graham. <laughs> Ideal. Sounds great. When they leave. Just kidding. Listener, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you want to continue the conversation on our Discord. It's a lot of fun. But for now, thank you again for listening. We'll catch you later. Bye! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.